Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Robert. Hello. And we're enjoying a Labor Day weekend here. This is the Monday of Labor Day. Both of us raced back from our uh, family obligations and we're able to record for you guys tonight because there's a heck of a lot going on. Uh, As promised, we talked last week, the Nova Open uh, has opened its doors. We had a GW preview. We had a few other key events, both in England and here in the States. And of course, we have our event coming up this coming Saturday and Sunday. That includes the Smite Club Open here in uh, Mesa, Arizona. We're very excited. We have 72 players uh, signed up for the event. So a great showing. And just, just how good of a showing? We were doing a little research here. And um, just in our region here, we're in the Western United States. For those of you uh, not familiar with our podcast location in like real space, so uh, if you look at the largest events we've had so far this year, uh, Bay Area Open is still tops at 140 players. And then uh, GW San Diego, really wouldn't call that an independent event, but it's, it's still an event, had 132 players. Palm Springs Open, 94, as well as the Salt Lake City Open. So uh, War Games Utah had 68, so we're just above them right now, assuming no drops. But um, the question was, it was discussed briefly on TFG Radio. That's where I decided to, you know, get the idea from them. It's the next largest event after War Games Utah was Hammer of Wrath, which was uh, in Pasadena, 35 players. Battle of LA, 26 players. And then several other RTTs, which got into like the mid the upper 28 to 30 players type event. So, hey, Robert. Do we have too many Warhammer events? Well, I think we have maybe one too many events in one single state. Because I know, obviously, we aren't exactly clear on how many events happen over on the East Coast. Because of the fact that we don't live over on that side of the continent. But over here on the West Coast, yeah, there's usually a, a... an actual GT level event, so over 28 players at least every other weekend in places like California, maybe in Las Vegas, if once I actually figure out their schedule and I might try to go to one. But otherwise, yeah, there's there tends to be an event every weekend, so some people are like, eh, I don't have to go to this one. Or some people are just fed up with the rules at the moment, and they just choose not to go. You mentioned the Vegas group. Uh, Power 9 Games still runs a few events there. One thing we haven't seen was the return of the uh, Gentleman's GT. That was a big event in Vegas outside of LVO. Uh, I haven't seen that bounce back yet. One thing I believe was on a... uh, trying to remember... It's one of the frontline gaming shows. I'm going to give the Thursday show the credit for it. If you looked at the super majors, there's six remaining in the United States, six remaining in England. But the issue is the six, you know, getting from one area of England to the other is pretty easy. Whereas the six in the United States are like spread across all four time zones. It's going to be really hard for a player to compete in all six and make a run for the title of ITC champion in the next few months. So it's like, uh, so begin to wonder if the, if the medium size tournament is becoming an endangered species. I mean, there, it could possibly be that way because of the fact that people have now kind of figured out that, Oh, if I want the maximum number of points to be applied to my ranking, I'm just going to go to all of the big super majors and pe- given people can afford to do that and have the time, then yeah, they will have a massive score until they realize that they also need to go to local events and score little events. <laughs> so that way they aren't just piling on top of super major scores. Yeah. So if people really want to try and maximize their score, then yeah, the if you spread out your events over the months, you'll be able to go like, okay, here's an RTT here, here's an RTT here, here's a large, here's a 
almost GT sized event. So that's one, two, three, all within like two months of each other. And then you go to one super major. Well, that's your fourth one. And that's in like the first four months of the year. And then you just repeat the process and you, you slowly replace your scores and you can go to whatever events you want, given that you can afford it. So yeah, it's, some people are event junkies where they try to squish all their events into six months where they hit two RTTs in a single month and then a GT the month after and then a super major month after that. And it's like, good for you. You drank two carton, like two entire 12 packs of Red Bull and you're just go, go, go. All right. <laughs> but overall, yeah, no, there's... There's no reason to honestly sit and wait to try and rush all your events right at the end to try and see if you can shoot your way up to the top of the I, of the ITC top 10. Because the ITC top 10 is like almost up to 2,000 points or something. Like it, I just know it's a really big number right now. Yeah. We'll probably cover it again at the end of the uh, show. I think the one area of the country they got it right is the midwest where they have their own you know the, the lord marshall cup so it's almost mm-hmm. like you know what if you're in contention for itc good for you in the meantime we're gonna make sure there's an incentive to go to at least our five or six medium to large tournaments because there's a local there's a regional championship to be played for and that's a little bit easier to manage from a travel and and time budget uh, of getting to those events and we've seen consistently high attendance numbers at those events so yeah like i know for us trying to get the rattler cup to be up and about at that point it would be a really smart idea for us to try and go oh hey vegas like you have one event that can participate in the Rattler Cup, you don't need to have all of them. Or, like, we do that with Texas. Or, heaven forbid, there's a, another event that happens in, in New Mexico. <laughs> right. Like something here in the more southwestern localized area. Because California has enough space to go, yeah, we can run three of that league within northern, central, and southern California individually. <laughs> So, yes and no. I mean, that's why I look at that. I go, all right, yeah, we're already running all this. We can. They, there was a California championship as well, and it kind of died out during COVID. And but I look at those. I'm like, you're, if you just look at the California events after uh, Long Beach, you, your next biggest event was 32 players. So, yeah. So at that point, all of those players, if they want to go to a larger event need to travel somewhere but then they don't want to travel because it's too expensive right kind of wish ray Ray was able to join us this week because he has quite a bit of experience with uh, magic and one of the things that was very different that certain tournaments had certain levels they they kind of cut the levels so you had Mm -hmm. to attend certain higher level events just to boost your resume and um maybe we need to go back to that you know back to there's they're supposed to say there's there's a when we go through our, you know the pregame routine here of, of our show there's a lot of events that have gt in the title that never get above 28 players and it's almost like which was the original criteria for a gt level event and i get it they'd rather you just people show up rather than forge you know a few fake tickets so get their status symbol going but um I'm not sure if it really is. Is it really helping? I don't know. Yeah, it's because when you hear the word GT, you usually hear grand tournament. And that has a that has a number for a lot of people where do I want to go to a 24, 24 person RTT? Yeah, that's going to be a huge RTT. Do I want to go to a 24 person event that lasts me two days? Maybe, maybe not. Because what's going to be the score difference between the two-day event 
and the one day event. Yeah, two games and two games can be huge because you can score perfect hundreds or whatever. But then you. You're wasting potentially three days. Yeah. Well, my, since I've taken my custodes for this entire season, my custodes have already been painted and based. So I haven't had to do work, so I've been able to focus on my nights. But half of half of me just wants to go, nah, man, I can sit down. I can bang out a night army in three days. Let's go. <laughs> no, no, they're they're an art project. And I mean, they are going with me to the RTT at LVO. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, that'll be the right to start to the season. But yes, our event is going to be quite fun. And for those of you that are listening to this and maybe you're not playing 40k, there is also an Age of Sigmar and a Marvel Crisis Protocol event going on there as well. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR Cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com, and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus podcast. Well, the warp decided to go and eat Eric, so I don't know exactly what he was able to get through there before the warp ate him. The Someone, after GW had cut most of the ties with their playtesters, Someone was able to get the entirety of the Leagues of OTAN Codex, similar to how they did it with the Tyranids, over to the YouTube channel of Tactical Tortoise. And <clears throat> the entire book over there is quite the listen. So if you would like to get opinions from just kind of a unbiased opinion of the tactical tortoise. He does a great job of explaining it. As for most of the internet, some of the things are absolutely a little groundbreaking, maybe even borderline broken, but also sometimes people think they are not exactly the strongest of armies because I mean, the space dwarves, they only move that fast. But yes, the entirety of the Leagues of Otan Codex got spoiled shortly after the reveals of Nova, to reiterate. And overall, just looking at the models that they showed off at Nova, my personal favorite is probably the Einhir champion, so the lieutenant character, because you have your calls, who are the captains. They... The Grimnir looks pretty cool, but and he's a psyker. And then the Land Fortress, affectionately painted by almost everyone on the internet as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pizza delivery. To it's a nice big old round snail-shaped land raider, basically. But otherwise, yes, that's most of the Leagues of Otan coverage that popped up. The 
first event that me and Eric were going to go to, hopefully Eric can make the return to <laughs> to the podcast from the warp, same, same as like the software booted him. But the first one is actually the Nova Open itself. This went for nine rounds, if I remember reading correctly. And the top five looked something like this. It was Brian Jones with Imperial Knights going four and one. Andrew Gagno uh, with Tau Empire going five and oh. I believe this splits it up into their top bracket, I think. I'm not exactly sure because it says it's nine rounds, but it's only showing five. So, again, I'm not exactly certain. And then you have Stephen Crawley with Necrons. You have Matt Shushman with Eldar. And then you have Jack Harpster also with Necrons. Dropping a resounding only three points out of the entire event. So looking over Jack's list, it, it is very much the common Necron list that we would see. It's Eternal Conquerors and Relentless Expansionist. He has the veil. He has a Chronomancer, a minimum unit of Immortals, Reanimators, a single Spider to repair the Reanimator, a unit of six Destroyers. One of them is a Heavy Destroyer. Then they have an Outrider attachment of some Plasma Sites to go with all the other Destroyers that they have. 12 Scorpex, so the T5 three-legged monstrosities I love calling murder buckets. A total of 9, 18, 21 Canoptic Scarab Swarms, a unit of six Ophidians, a minimum unit of three Tomb Blades, as cheap as you can possibly get them, and then the big old Silent King. So a lot of repairing can go on in the list because of the fact that the spider can fix not only the reanimator but can also fix the king because he is a vehicle but yes this is pretty much a standard necron list that we see nowadays that can score really well on multiple secondaries i believe the main one that he would score really well on is either code of combat or the purge the vermin which is indeed get off my lawn. So with that, some other noticeable things about Nova. We have obviously Necrons in the top five, and then we have not a lot of Tyranids. It seems Tyranids has gone from being the big scary list of the meta to just being a boogeyman. It's still going to knock you down because of the fact that it doesn't, it scores really, 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 really high. But it does, if you can outscore them fairly early, then you might be able to eke it out by maybe five or six points. And then a whole bunch of Tau right out right at the bottom outside the top 10 so you had to go through a lot of tau and then in most of you have probably heard that um, anthony birdsong was originally going to go to nova and then something was put in place at the event of nova and mr birdsong decided well, I don't want to go now. And he went ahead and opened up an event on the same weekend to try and pull people away from Nova. The It got a good amount of people. It ended up getting effectively 30 to 32 players. Nova still ended up having over 200 players. 
So some people decided to go to that event instead of going to the one where all the our war guys went. So the top five are Bratchester with Eldar, top four with Austin Wingfield with Chaos Knights, third place is Jeremy King with Adeptus Custodes, then second place we have TJ Lanigan with Thousand Sons, and in first place we have Thomas Ogden still running around with his Tau. So overall, I don't think very much has changed for Mr. Ogden. Because, yep, he still has the two Sun Shark Bombers. He still has Shadow Sun. He still has the 15, the, yeah, 15 Crisis Suits, the Cold Star Commander. So he still has a really solid brick of Crisis Suit wounds that people would have to chew through. And not and Matt Laura was also there. He barely missed out on being in the top ten of the event playing Adeptus Sorodos. And some other mentionable names. <laughs> he brought along his brother Mike. Do 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 do. It doesn't seem like a whole bunch of the big name players went to Mr. Birdsong's event. It seems like they all still landed out at Nova. But otherwise, it was two very... One extremely large event, which Nova, I remember, is usually also for charity in some way. And the fact that Mr. Birdsong was able to get 30 people is no small feat for an event that just randomly happened. So then we are going to hop across the pond a little bit. And we are going to go to Battlefield Birmingham 19. All the way over in England. And the top five looks something like this. We have... Nicholas Willingale with Necrons. We have Richie Ballon in fourth place with Goffs. We have George Gatteroth with Imperial Knights. We have Adam Lynch with Tyranids. And then we have Vic Vijay running Chaos Space Marines. So Vic Vijay finally making it back from the WTC was able to get right back on the rocking horse and go back to town. So he is running around with Emperor's children as a battalion with a demon prince, mass procession, a dark apostle, and then one, two, three, four, five. Wow, that's a lot. Five units of noise marines because they are troops in Emperor's chosen. One small unit of cultists, and then the ten-man Mark of Slanesh. Terminator Brick with the Black Rune of Damnation. And then two, a Venom Crawler. And then Abaddon. And it looks like he had saved enough points in order to summon a Herald of Slanesh. Which I'm not sure how the summoning works in Chaos Space Marines. I would try to dig for it, but that is quite the laborious little task. And Eric just reached out to me. He is still dealing with a... It sounds like a nurgling went and got into his computer. So I will probably be finishing out the episode myself tonight. So you get to hear me ramble. Yay! The only other event that we were going to cover tonight was going to be the Summer Wah, because can't be a podcast without an orky bit in it, can we? So the top five was Christopher Chetatal with Thousand Sons. In fourth place was Marcus Hinson with Imperial Knights. In third place, we have Michael Duff with Imperial Knights. 
So that'll be interesting to look at and see that if there's any differences. In second place, we have David Irving with Black Legion. And then first place, we have Mike Porter with Harlequins. So Harlequins are still able to sneak out wins in places that most people would not expect. Darn flip belts shoving them into places that they don't exactly belong. But looking it over, it is... So he was playing light, so that's the harder to hit one outside of a certain number, and I believe you don't get to reroll to hit. He has a Shadow Seer, the, a Troop Master, a whole bunch of Troop, a single Death Jester, and a Solitaire, a whole bunch of Star Weavers. And then he brings a second Patrol with another Shadow Seer, two more units of Troop, and two more Star Weavers. So quite literally, this is crack open the eggs. There's not a single heavy gun in this list outside of maybe the neuro disruptors and i think eric might be coming back from the warp yay i am back from the warp sorry about that everyone you are all right eric i did inform most of them that if you did not make it back i was going to ramble forever <laughs> awesome well i appreciate you holding down the fort in the meantime so yeah that was a very bizarre computer issue there, so we'll figure it out from there. But um, so yeah, it sounds like we're still talking Leagues of Otan here. Well, wait, because you, you, you disappeared in the middle of the Leagues of Otan, I did add on the talking about of how the entire book got spoiled to the channel of Tactical Tortoise. And he does a really thorough read of it. And my favorite model out there was the Iron Here Champion, so the Lieutenant character in Terminator armor. Because, yeah, having a really tough Space Dwarf is awesome. Yeah, there was a couple crazy combos to just make them very difficult to shift. Yep. But otherwise, in the time of you getting the... Now I'm scaling it up. It was an entire blue horror in your computer. Yeah, I don't know what the heck happened here. Uh, <laughs> it right. literally just... Uh, normally when I'm talking, uh, as we talk for a while, like the screen saver kind of kicks in, right? And I noticed that it was just blank. So I just, okay, let me tap the thing because I couldn't hear Robert responding. And then all of a sudden, the whole screen is black. And then I'm like... It decides, oh, I'm just going to do a hard reboot in the middle of the show. So, all right, we're back. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, while you were fixing that, I did do an initial run-through of the four events that we did have planned for tonight. Okay. And I was actually just about to talk through the Summer Wah, going through um, Mike Porter's Harlequins list, that did squeak out a win by... A couple of hairs. There was a couple of scores underneath 90 there. Yeah, nice to see Mike uh, bounce back after the uh, e the uh, WTC experience there with England. And um, so this one and will definitely have some longer lasting effects on the ITC championship as he's uh, sneaking his way back into the top 10. Mm -hmm. Just like how Vic Vijay is hopped right back from the WTC um, backwards race to take back his spot in the singles events with a resounding win at the battlefield of Birmingham with Cast Space Marines, which was in fact Emperor's Chosen with Abaddon. Yeah, Abaddon seems to be an auto-take at this point. I, I've yet to see really a Chaos Space Marine list since the Codex has dropped without him. Yeah. I mean, he's tougher than Gilliman. He's sure he can't stand back up, but I mean only being able to take three wounds a phase and and stuff like that is a humongous thing for any character. And brushing back over the the Nova and Let Freedom Ring events. So Let Freedom Ring, Thomas Ogden took it with his Tau. It's still the same. So the two bombers that make Eric really, really angry. Uh. And then with the crisis, a whole bunch of supplementary 
models and Jack Harpster took Nova with the very common Necron list that is a whole bunch of destroyers and the king and a whole bunch of stuff to supplement keeping that stuff around. Yeah, he was able to take down Matt Shuckman, who is Wilder Guard is probably one of the top uh, craft world players on the East Coast. And uh, it's nice to see him bounce back and um, a very interesting list that he played as well. But um, once again, he places well at Nova, yet has yet to win it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And looking, I know Nova was nine rounds, but it shows. Because does Nova do the potting just like some of the other events do? Yes, they're the originators of the potting. Okay, so that makes sense why most of the records only show five scores instead of nine outside of Tony Phillips, where he kept it as a pattern of 85-0-91-0-83-0-96-0-86-0. He was only working a half day that day. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, no, Nova. Yeah, the Nova opened. Uh, they're the originator of the pod system. They're the originators of uh, standardizing terrain on every table. Uh, that's some of their innovations. They actually had their own team develop their own pairing software years ago. Uh, you may may remember Torrent of Fire. That was a that was a Nova product. Since has gone uh, by the wayside and. Uh, Best Coast Pairings has taken over. So, um, yeah, kind of some of the original ideas that came from this event. But, yeah, a a lot of these events that we covered today, most of them did reach their a pretty sizable amount of at least 30 to 50 players, even with people dropping out midway through. So it's not a problem for events to still get people but events over here it's going back on the saturation issue sometimes people just don't want to go to an event every weekend and they just want to sleep <laughs> we'll see i mean it's just interesting to see what is it the game is it the the events is there's too many events just trying to see i mean one thing i'll definitely want to talk to the players that do come to our event why do you come and find out what it is that you know, is there more to the event needed, you know, at that point? Because um, I think we're not the only event, obviously, that has asked, trying to ask those questions. So. All right. So that puts us in. So we covered our events at this point. So those are top five. Covered the Votan, covered the, all the new stuff. Anything that you thought from the reveal that you wanted to see that didn't get talked about? Well, I mean, I, I spouted and spouted about my love of the Land Fortress because it looked like a turtle. Yeah. But it, the main thing I wanted was that, sure, showing off Leagues of Votan because they're a brand new faction is super important. But you could also have shown us more, more potential things for guard. So like they, we we see the new troop models where they're actually wearing armor. We obviously have the new successor to Crow, or is it? It was the new female commissar with the oh, special uh, her last name Ursula. What's her name? Uh, Krask, I think his name is. Crask or Draken or something like, yeah, that. like that. Yeah, we have her, but like updated vehicles, maybe like I know Lehman Russes are tried and true. Like you can hit those things with quite literally a sledgehammer, and they'll probably be fine. But it's still a. They're the next book after Votan, so you showed us the starter box. You showed us a lot of the new models. Because Leagues of Votan is na- is confirmed to be a Xenos faction and not be Imperium. So at that point, why not show start showing us stuff for Guard? Just maybe a new Basilisk, maybe a new Wyvern. Like just like how they did for Sisters, give them a new model after waiting twenty plus years. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was something else. I mean, I'm not a guard fan. Don't get me wrong. It's my least favorite army in 40k. But I was, I kind of walked away from this going like, okay, they've been announced. What else? Um, so that was really disappointing. Um, a positive thing, though, is that I think they're finally learning how to use Warhammer Plus. So to have back-to-back-to-back Leaks of OTAN battle reports before the Codex comes out, with or without a leak, is awesome. I think that was a really good idea. You want to know about the... Here's how they play. I'm like, oh, that's a really clever idea. Uh, The only bad news was... For some reason, they decided to do a crusade mission. So it leaves a lot of questions in terms of what are we playing? Is this really them up to full speed? Now, it's a hell of a lot better than what they did years ago when the Dark Angels release came out. And they just decided to do open play. And they had like 11 characters on the table. (laughs) I was like, what is this nonsense? (laughs) But um, that was a little disappointing as well i was kind of like uh okay and it's even more confusing because guard is not using some of the balanced data sheet rules mm-hmm. so is that a hint towards what the new codex is about or were they just for, for go because it's a again back to being a crusade mission i have no idea yeah it's that's the other thing that i do agree with is that the balanced data sheet going going oh hey yeah no guard doesn't suffer these things like why not the they should suffer some <laughs> i say suffer but they should guard needs to suffer <laughs> <laughs> they they need to play by the rules that games workshop puts out for everyone else now yes you you have the armor of contempt rules, which goes on almost every single form of power armor. And then you look at Lisa Votan with their void armor, where it's not on top of being armor of contempt. They, you also can't reroll the wound roll against it. So that instantly makes it better than armor of contempt. <laughs> yeah. And you then, my argument being biased you look at custodes we have a two up armor save and we have a base four up interval and we're toughness five yet we don't reduce the ap of an incoming weapon by one. Oh, it's because you have an invulnerable save in your toughness five and the <laughs> again that's me being a bias I hear the bias. I mean, coming from a guy who's got whose army's got a you know four up, five up, <laughs> T three. I kind of look at it, go, oh, all right. Every, what was the point of AP again? <laughs> so it's, I I think there's something needs to be kind of rebalanced a little bit. Um, I mean, we were kind of talking about uh, off air with a couple other folks. About you know ideas for tenth edition, and it was like, oh, what's a tougher unit, a T eight model with three wounds or a T three model with eight wounds? And that is very much a open point of view because a T three model with eight wounds, okay, almost everything in the game wounds it on threes, and it just goes pop 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 pop. But then you give that thing a two-up armor save that can't be mono, like ignores the first level of AP. Okay. That thing is not going to die because most things, in order to actually make it scared of you, have to be at least AP minus three. You look at the T8 thing with three wounds, it only has a four-up save. And it doesn't reduce the AP incoming. So so yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing I was going to point out, okay, T8. Oh, that's vehicle range. That's really tough. With only three wounds, a well-placed, you know, heavy weapon, whether it be last cannon or thunder hammer, one shots it. Mm-hmm. Like my right. game today against Mark Whitaker, he brought a corn lord of skulls. I put 
three shots from my Relic Turbo Laser Destroyer from my Knight Desecrator. That Thord of Skulls on my first turn went from 30 to 3 health. Yes, I spiked some rolls, but holy cow. Right. If a 30 wound model that is toughness 8 and has a base 2 up armor save and a 5 up invuln can go from full to almost dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Everything dies in this edition. It's been kind of the case with 8th edition. It's a way of speeding up the game. I semi-agree with that. I guess I'm just trying to find... <sighs> I'd like to see a bigger separation between the vehicle units and the infantry units. So there's there's less of these all-purpose weapons that I can kill anything with this gun because I have either enough shots where I'll take out the, the big stuff and I have caused enough damage I can kill all the small stuff too. Yeah, like uh, a unit that I have in Knights that is a nice um, all-coming kind of shooting attack is one, we have the Knight Brigands because one, they come with... A Gatling Cannon that has 12 shots of Strength 6, AP 2, 1 damage. And then we they also come with a Thermal Spear, which is Strength 9, AP 4, D6 damage. D6 plus 2 within half. And then you can give them a Melt-A-Gun or a, ha- no, a Havoc Launcher or a Melt-A-Gun. Like it's, you can make them little gun platforms. But then that gives me the ability to shoot a vehicle and infantry. I then look at the Moiraxes, the one with the Tesla arms. I get the same number of shots out of both arms at the same strength as the single Gatling cannon. So I can use that into almost anything because I can throw out enough dice to have it be scary. But when my AP gets reduced to almost nothing... And then the gun becomes useless because, oh, I'm also standing in cover. And I reduce the AP by one. Herder. Yeah. It's just... It's having a tough time with it. Um, I don't know whether... I don't know, I've been kind of wrestling with a couple... You know, how to fix this. and I'm not sure what it is. Uh, part of me says the auto wound is... You know, a six to wound always wounds... Um, I like it because it's simpler. I don't want to go back to the days of the you wound on sevens, you wounds on eights and using that crazy table again. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, maybe you need to come up with something like similar we talked about with Abaddon where he's got a cap on how many wounds he can take per phase. Maybe vehicles have that as a whole mm-hmm. and then certain weapons that are meant to have the anti-tank keyword and it bypasses that. So, yeah, if I'm attacking you with 400 LAS guns, I'm not going to take down a knight. But if I am hitting you with enough um, dark lances, I should be able to take down that same knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is very much a... I, I firmly believe that if they were to reduce the overall AP of guns instead of introducing rules that reduce the AP rules-wise. Because, yes, there are some weapons that I believe should exist that are AP 4, AP 5, maybe even AP 6 if it's that big of a gun. Like Turbo Laser Destroyers, that's a gun that's made to kill other knights. Volcano Cannons, um, Doomsday Arc Cannons, Dark Lances, Bright Lances... All of those things are made to crack heavy armor because they don't get a lot of shots or they have random number of shots. But it shouldn't be a, oh, my random uh, stalker bolt rifle goes from being AP2 to AP-3 during this doctrine. And now I can ignore almost any save that I want that doesn't... That kind of thing. 
Yeah, I mean, it's one thing I looked at when I looked at the Votan rules. I didn't see a whole lot better than EP minus two. So it really tells me, is that a signal towards the new 40K or is this a balancing effect that these guys are going to have a struggle against AP? To the same point, uh, okay, it's a Stalker Bolt Rifle, AP three. Uh, I don't remember what it is in terms of strength five. No, it's only strength four, but it's also two damage. Okay. So it is still, so it should be good at taking out most infantry. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, if you're taking that against a dread, I guess you still have a good chance of taking out a dreadnought, and that's a little scary. But, well, okay. I mean, the, the Stalker Bolt rifles are each only one shot. So it's a, like, you're firing a sniper rifle. They're better at taking out care, they're better at taking out infantry and characters. They shouldn't be able to punch a hole into a dreadnought very easily anyway unless you find the the hole into the sarcophagus and go bang but it's kind of what you're doing though it's strength four against d7 wounding on fives and then minus three you're bypassing because most dreadnoughts don't have an involve and then two damage you get two or three shots through because dreadnoughts usually only about seven or eight wounds yeah you're still whittling it down but also Dread Knights, uh, not Dread Knights, Dread Knots nowadays, most of them have Duty Eternal, so they reduce the damage by one. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. So it's a it's a trade-off of, you can have small arms fire, it's still represented as having trouble wounding it because it wounds it on a five, and then the AP is, oh, you got a lucky shot in there and you found a hole in the servo arm or whatever. But it shouldn't be a okay. I run up with all of, with ten assault bolters. I have a statistically higher chance of killing a dreadnought than a rocket launcher does. Yeah, and that's maybe that's where that maybe the duty eternal is the the balancing factors keeps reducing, and then the the anti tank guns um are not affected by that reduction so all of a sudden that gives them a little more chance to punch when they do punch through they do more damage maybe increase the damage of those so when you start firing your rocket launchers at infantry congratulations you killed that infantry person five times over but you still only killed one model yeah the when we're talking about leagues of otan in this instance because of the fact that most of their guns aren't super high AP, but you can get a decent amount of shots and you do the automatic wounding on six, fives, and then fours, depending on how angry yeah. you are at an enemy unit. <laughs> oh, yeah. It doesn't change your AP very often, anyway. There's a, there is a sub faction that you get extra AP on your wound rolls of six or something like that. So it's it's a really interesting step-by-step mechanic of well I can I automatically wound on this number. Well we're gonna copy Hail of Doom from Eldar, where your automatic wounds count as an unmodified six. So boom, extra AP all the time. That that is a little iffy. <laughs> yeah. And it also is an interesting way to bypass uh, transhuman. Yeah, it is. You only wouldn't be on fours. I don't have to roll for wounds. I, if I rolled a hit, I, I, I wound you. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, then yeah. the, and then that other creates is the magma railgun. Is that what it's yeah, called? The magna rail. So it's a special rule on very specific weapons. For example, the one that's on the Land Fortress is essentially a LAS cannon. And it's like 2d3 plus 6 damage or something. And that one, if you wound on an unmodified wound roll of a 6, it has the same effect as the flails in Death Guard where the damage spills over continuously. So if you roll 11 damage and you wound it on a 6, you can kill 
11 one wound models because you literally fire a rail straight through them. So granted, you don't know when you're going to roll sixes to hit, but you've got a pretty good chance with the grudge markers to make sure that happens. Yeah, and there's a there is Just a the way. One, excuse me. Yeah, there is a way from listening to the video that Tactical Tortoise did. There is a way that you can just go, oh, yeah, no. I'm going to do, I think it's a special character that can go hop up to ba ba ba, and you can change something. You can change something to a six. So, like, if you change a to hit roll to a six, it then counts as a six to wound. And yeah. I mean, at that point, you still get your invulnerable save if you have one. Right. But it's a, it's a, hmm, I don't like that gun into my custodes. <laughs> I really, really don't. No. But, I like that gun into just about anything I own, so it's it's pretty bad. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think the one thing that was a semi-reassuring is there five inch movement rate and they can be, their advance is only three inches for infantry models so if they advance they are only moving eight inches mm-hmm. and then their bikes Maybe can I, move like 18 uh if they advance yes mm-hmm. so yeah they only advance six so i'm thinking like okay i can get they, will they struggle on primary because they won't be able to get to some of those important some of those objectives still turn to the top of you know, their turn too. So that they lose two command phases of scoring. Yeah. But at the same time, it's <clears throat> chatting about it. Like, yeah, the movement can be an issue because of the fact that you, your opponent can literally go, Oh, I am. I'm going to end nine inches outside of you. So in order for you to advance, you cannot, I can block you from going there. That kind of thing. It, you can actually measure how far the threat range is on leagues of O10 units. But most of their shooting is pretty long range. So you just don't care. <laughs> you just point and shoot and you do your best interpretation of Death Guard being Admech. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a Admech Tau Death Guard mix. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, um, yeah, so it doesn't. Yeah, I'm on. Yeah, I'm on the primary. Oh, I just got blown off the primary. Okay, great. So, but yeah, it is that army is going to be probably a health check on the game because if people, if a whole bunch of people jump to that, jump to that faction, then they are going to play it until it is dead or they go no this army isn't broken I wanted it to be broken it's not that straightforward it's not admech brand new out of the box when you literally could just mathematically kill almost anything you wanted in the game with a brick of 20 rangers right this army will take some understanding on how to one mitigate the movement issues and probably take advantage of the fact that you can quite literally point at a unit, jump your grumpy tokens to two. And then in the right sub faction, you will count as one higher so you'll just be automatically wounding on fours. So you literally just point and shoot and just go, all right, and huzzah, I wounded you this many times. Right. And hopefully your opponent just dies to sheer weight of dice. The more and more I talk about this army, the more and more I want to play it. God damn it. I, there's definitely intrigued by it. Um I do like the judgment tokens idea. Yeah, as you lose units, you gain these tokens. Um, my biggest thing is the whole speed thing. I don't. I don't know if I can go from an army that 
the average model moves eight inches without advancing to them <laughs> to something that's as static as this army. So I'm not sure if that's going to work for me or not, but, um, <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things that the fact that every single unit outside of the pioneers moves five, it makes you actually sit there and consider, well, if I play a shooting army with no vehicles, I literally need to play all kill secondaries, which then my opponent can interact with because they can just hide things from me. and I don't get to do anything and they just get to outscore me on primary. Or do you leave points available to bring the Sagittar or the land fortress to move your guys around? Because just saying, there is a subfaction that can make the make the land fortress toughness nine, and it has a base two. It is a land raider, quite literally. It has a two up armor save. Yeah, their vehicles are bonkers. So I kind of would probably lean heavily in the vehicle type thing, mm-hmm. and um, and I believe the is the hearth guard. They're, they're, they're elite units. Yeah, the the hearthkin. Hearthkin, that's what. Yeah, yeah, the hearthkin are their foot troops and their terminators. I think. Oh, that's actually one unit I'm actually really sad about. Their the heavy the heavy gun unit, the one that's like, oh yeah, no, I'm carrying around a Tesla carbine. They they can't carry the Magna rail guns. Yeah, oh. that the the funniest ones they get access to are beam weapons. Well, what I was going at was, I believe the hearth can have a teleport ability. So part of me's like, oh, I, I'm over here. I killed what I need. This flank is dead. Let's go to the other side. Yes, that is actually, if you take the correct warrior option on the terminators then yes, they have teleportation stuff. If you take the other one, they get an invuln. Hmm. That's a tough trade-off. It just reminds me how I used to play Necrods when I first played them. So I had, like, mm-hmm. back in the day when I had dual Veils of Darkness and just was bopping all over the table. And But I was moving Warriors and Immortals, which these guys have a ton more shooting than that a, a moral squad ever did so like ooh, that could be fun yeah the the idea that i'm hung up on is the the um the terminators putting them in the subfaction that makes them toughness six and they have void armor so they have a two up armor save and they reduce the ap by one and you can't reroll the wound roll. This instantly makes them tougher than my Loras Terminators and Custodes. Yeah. Again, this is wishful thinking. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Uh, other thing I just add to just kind of bring it back to the previews at large: uh, Demons, Votan, Guard, and I think World Eaters. World Eaters. Is and it says something effective winter is so I immediately had to turn, oh, that's before Christmas, and then I kind of looked at it again. Me, are they really? Is that it? We're all gonna get after demons three more codices between now and spring? Is that it? Yep, it because of the fact that it is very much these are the last handful of armies. There's there's not a lot left to show off. Now, at that point, are we going to see another campaign setting come up? Are we going to... like? Obviously, we're going to see more GT books come out for match play. But are we going to see the return of potential uh, like specialist attachment equivalents in match play? Like how we did with Vigilus? Are we going to see Psychic Awakening additional updates or like new units or something? Because like how you alluded at, there was a whole bunch of new models that they want to release and there's a lot of 
cough, cough, wink, wink, that's going to be Tyranids that have all the new models. So. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of those new models were, you know, this, the supposed, you know, second spa Space Marine Codex. And others are going to get pushed back now. Uh, the new Tyranid uh, models that are supposed to come out. Are they getting pushed back? Um, we still don't have every uh, craft world uh, aspect warrior in plastic yet. So are those coming sometime soon? I mm -hmm. uh, don't know. You know, it seems uh, this is a publicly traded company. They need to generate uh, revenue every 90 days. And can they keep stockholders at bay with just a uh, another splashy war cry release? I don't know. I'm not really sure either. The, I mean, the fact that one, there's also new corn berserker models. Those ones are pretty cool, by the way. Yeah, they are really, really freaking cool. They are all Karn the Betrayer. <laughs> the other thing is that it, Age of Sigmar also got a new model, a new character giant. The the big thing that I actually talked to a games workshop person about is he feels that after the world leaders book dusting off an old topic, they might actually push it back from being a three year release schedule for new editions to a fourth year. Because remember how they talked about, Oh yeah, no, we're going to make the old world game. Oh no. So, potentially, a an updated Warhammer fantasy game to go in line with the Horus Heresy. Like, maybe that's what they're saving all their stuff for, maybe? Uh, I was never a big fan of the old Warhammer fantasy battles, so... <laughs> I'm like, ew, why are we bringing that back? But I know there's, I know Total War, the video game, has brought new life to it, so there's potential. Mm, that's an interesting thought, though. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's, it's, it's the ultimate curveball that it's not 10th edition 40k, but a reboot Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it is very much just a, there's a lot of things that could potentially happen after this World Eaters Codex release. It could be a new edition. It could be just new model releases. So that way, when the new models come out, it's like, oh, here's a new model and an updated book. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yep, we can speculate all we want. Yeah, and this is a further say. Yeah, we do not have any inside sources. We are not playtesters. We have no um, pure speculation on our part at this point. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, I uh, did do a quick second check, and uh, normally at this point in the show we would go over the IDC top ten. However, it is not including any of the Nova scores or any, actually, none of the events that we talked about. So rather than rehashing old uh, ITC top 10, we'll uh, put it out on our Facebook later this week, and I'll hopefully have time to uh, re-add all the uh, extended statistics that we do as on a regular basis. So we'll skip that for now. But uh, Robert, anything else to add for this week? Um. Only that I'm going to have a very rough weekend because I'm working the night before Smite Club Open. Oh, no. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's going to be fun. But yes, for those of you that are coming to Smite Club Open and listen, it will be very exciting to see you guys there. And it'll be a nice run around for my custodes to play again. And we all hope to see you guys at the Scorched Earth Open. A lot of S's and C's and O's. <laughs> <laughs> um, we hope to see you guys at that event I believe the dates are estimated sometime in February I believe so it's on our website I forgot exactly what the save the date was I've been so focused on this event 
But yes, I expect to see you guys there, and I will have a whole bunch of angry, stompy robots or dwarves. You never know. You never know. Either way, I'm looking forward to meeting everyone in person there, and uh, also look forward to our next show, giving a full red cap. Until then, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.